I have both nationalities, Italian and American. And so I've celebrated Christmas Eve with my Italian-American family and my Italian-Italian family. This is Jen, and we're talking about a tradition that many Italian and Italian-American families practice on Christmas Eve. Preparing fish seven different types of ways. Um, Yes, for most families, Christmas Eve is a time for gathering, celebrating, reminiscing, and of course, eating. And while dinner on Christmas Day is mostly standardized and very similar to a typical Thanksgiving meal, Christmas Eve meals can vary much more widely depending on your cultural background and family traditions. Jen and her family serve what's known as the Feast of the Seven Fishes on Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, there would come out all of this fried and baked and roasted fish and... It was completely amazing because I love, I love fish. It's a tradition born out of southern Italy and influenced by the Catholic Church. Now, why seven fishes? Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's a great question. And I, I never questioned it. I was always, always just like, okay, seven fishes. It's not entirely clear why it needs to be seven. Some say it's a reference to the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church. Others suggest it refers to the seven hills of Rome. There doesn't seem to be wide agreement on that. But one thing everyone agrees on is that it must be fish. Why? If everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe helps to make the season bright, then what's the deal with a feast of seven fishes for many Italian families? Or a vegetarian dinner for families of Polish or Lithuanian roots? These feasts, and others like them, are part of a long-standing tradition from Christian cultures of Europe that involve a so-called meatless meal on Christmas Eve. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. To start making sense of it all, we need to understand a couple of things. First, I referred to these traditions as so-called meatless meals, and that's because many people today wouldn't consider fish to be meatless. But that's because we aren't thinking like ancient Europeans. When they say a meatless meal, they mean particularly red meat. That's Father Leo Padalinghug. He's a priest, a professional chef, author, television host, a food truck owner, and the founder of Plating Grace, an international food movement. So it's important to understand, even though they may sound like synonyms, meatless and vegetarian in this context mean two different things. And the second thing we need to understand is the traditional observation of Christmas Eve. While the Christmas season nowadays is considered the period between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day itself, historically that same period is Advent, a time of reflection and austerity, not unlike Lent. Christmas Eve is still part of Advent traditionally. It's the vigil before the celebration. And so many Christians would do as they do on any vigil, abstain from eating meat. And again, when we say meat, we mean red meat. Because of the blood. So blood is kind of a theological reality more than a culinary preference. It was to avoid the blood of any sacrificed animal, knowing that it is the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, whose blood would be shed for the forgiveness of sins. That may sound like a gruesome and honestly pretty gross way of thinking about it, but Father Leo says there's a logic to it all. It's actually incredibly deep thinking. If you stay away from something, you develop a hunger for it in an appropriate way, never to abuse it, but to honor it and to celebrate it. And so red meat was something that they honored, but they avoided it in order to appreciate it when time came for for the feasting, which is Christmas. 
In fact, throughout history, and even today, many Catholics observe this kind of abstinence every Friday of the year in acknowledgement of Good Friday. Now still, while there might be some kind of logic behind abstaining from red meat, that only explains why one kind of meat is not allowed. It doesn't explain why specifically fish is allowed. That's an interesting historical note because, again, while they're avoiding red meat, they are eating a form of protein. But this was okay simply because Jesus gave the instructions for Christians that he's going to make them fishers of men. So fish becomes a very important staple in diet, especially during the Christmas season, because again, they still needed their protein. They avoided the red meat, but they had fish for theological reasons. At one point, they used to eat simply fish that had scales, because that was kind of in respect to our Hebrew only scale-eating seafood diet. Different European cultures have put their own spin on this tradition. While in Italy it's the Feast of the Seven Fishes, in Poland the Vigilia Supper often sticks to herring or carp. Now I'll say it again, when we're talking about all of this, meatless and vegetarian or vegan mean different things. But even though fish may be allowed, in some cultures the meal actually truly is vegetarian. One example would be a falafel, <laughs> and so this was something that they actually ate during the Lenten season, but also in the Advent season, preparing for Christmas, and boom, you have a meatless meatball. <laughs> and so they also had delicious braised dishes, uh, which were all vegetable-based, so, you know, like a shushuska, for example, would be an example of it, where they would have a lot of vegetables braised, a little bit of tomato sauce, So this is a kind of a cultural tradition um, in Lithuania, and pretty much everybody does this. Andy here was born and raised in Lithuania, and her family's traditional Christmas Eve dinner includes no animal products at all. Lithuanian Christmas dinner, like the Polish Vigilia Supper, requires 12 dishes to be served. Um, So there's a lot of nuts and uh, and different variations of that. Um, Also salads. I make a nut roast every year. My husband, who is British, he started participating in this tradition as well, and he bakes um, vegan bread every year. Why 12? Just like with the Feast of the Seven Fishes, there are competing theories. Is it a reference to the 12 apostles, the 12 months of the year, the 12 days of Christmas? But one thing is clear, if you're serving 12 meatless dishes, you need to get creative. And it's actually a lot of fun to kind of try and be creative, and I try to find a new recipe every year that I can um, include um, as part of the 12 dishes that we that we have on Christmas Eve. And while the abstinence from meat may have largely to do with religious doctrine, in Lithuanian and other cultures, other beliefs, attitudes, and legends are also influences. Obviously back in the day, a lot of people were farmers and they were living sort of around barn animals and there was just a lot of respect for animals. And Christmas Eve in general is sort of seen as quite a magical night. And there was this sort of legend that the animals, barn animals in particular, would speak on Christmas Eve. Um, They sort of became a little bit human. Um, And in fact, it was really good luck if you accidentally overheard an animal speak. Now, if you did it on purpose and tried to listen to an animal speak, then that would actually bring you, let's just say, really bad misfortune. So here we are in current day America, where Christmas Eve is generally considered a big part of the main Christmas season. Yes, many families with strong European immigrant roots may practice a traditional meatless meal, but overall, Christmas Eve has become less about austerity and restraint, less of a vigil, and more of a pregame party. 
what happened was, particularly in America, because we're pretty practical people, the Christmas Eve became a kind of a time where you allowed us to celebrate the Christmas in anticipation. So that's where, you know, in America, we have a big feast, a big celebration uh, on Christmas Eve in anticipation of Christmas Day. For Europeans, they stick to a pretty clear tradition. Christmas Eve is still not Christmas Day, so we'll still eat the seafood or the non-red meat and still make a celebration. But Christmas Day, we go all out. In an age where Christmas is predominantly a cultural, secular celebration, where our food is part of a global supply chain, where traditions from many cultures and times from history meld and blur, the foods we eat on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day have largely to do with popular culture influence, personal preference, family tradition, regional specialty, and nostalgia. But Father Leo says that if your Christmas celebration does include a spiritual or religious element, those foods can be part of it. I think that when people think about food, especially during the Christmas season, they have to consider the spiritual connotation where a lot of people would eat lamb because it was evocative of the Lamb of God. If they eat seafood, it was because Jesus was a fisher of man, so to speak. And if they eat like big meats and things of that nature, it's because, again, that blood, that bloody sacrifice that Jesus endured was to give people strength. Uh, and so I hope that when people eat a celebration meal, they don't just simply feed the body, but it also feeds their soul. Now, of course, all this business about a Christmas Eve feast assumes that a feast is even possible in the first place. But at times where money is tight, the Christmas season can often be not much more than a painful reminder of everything that's out of reach. Many families struggle to make Christmas a special time. But every now and then, it's out of that struggle that lasting Christmas memories are born. Like this one from Eric in Utah. One Christmas Eve, when I was around 10 years old, my mom was at the grocery store for some last-minute groceries and to fill some prescriptions for my little brother, who has spina bifida. In our family of eight, groceries got very expensive and money was extremely tight. So, you can imagine my mom's despair when she went to pay for the groceries and realized that somewhere in the store, she must have dropped a $50 bill, which in those days was worth a lot more. She couldn't believe it. We needed that money for groceries and right before Christmas, too. After a fruitless search up and down the aisles, she finally ended her search at the pharmacy counter to ask if it was found there. The pharmacist said no, but they'll keep an eye out for it. They'd be closed on Christmas, but they'd be sure to call my mom after the break if the $50 turned up. That night, the doorbell rang and I opened the door to find a stranger standing on our front porch. He turned out to be the pharmacist that my mom talked to earlier that day. He said someone had found her money and turned it in, handing her two fives, two tens, and a twenty. Her shoulders dropped. She said, this isn't mine. I lost a $50 bill. As she went to hand it back to him, he just smiled, wished us a Merry Christmas, and left. I get a lump in my throat every time I remember what that man taught me that year. That the real magic of Christmas comes from the kindness, generosity, and love that we show to those in need, even complete strangers. Well, Christmas is just days away, and I'm sure you're already well into your preparations for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day meals. Or, if you're not the one doing the preparing, I'm sure you're already well into your anticipation. How do you celebrate Christmas Eve? What foods or other traditions are you looking forward to? 
There's still a little bit of time to share a Christmas memory about this or anything else with the rest of the Christmas Past family. Just record yourself speaking into your phone's voice memo app and send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Keep it reasonably short, clean and family friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California by yours truly, Brian Earl. Thank you so much to Father Leo Padalinghug. Find more about him at platinggrace.com. Thanks also to Andy from Lithuania. I talked to her from her current home in London. And to Jen, who lives in America, but we spoke when she was in Saudi Arabia for work. Thanks also to Eric in Utah. And of course, thank you for listening. You can drop me a line anytime at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com and connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you haven't yet joined our private Christmas Past Facebook group, do it today and join our ongoing family celebration. And hey, if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover this show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card is my way of saying thanks. Reach out for details. And until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright.